This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg, reporting from Tallahassee, where Nikki Freed finally gets the chance to air her concerns at a cabinet meeting about the way the state is responding to COVID-19. She claims the governor is keeping them in the dark. Ron DeSantis' only response was to say, anyone else? We'll hear from the commissioner during our interview segment of today's podcast. Oddly enough, coronavirus wasn't really addressed during the cabinet meeting, but the state's chief executives did find time to bash the commies. The attorney general and the chief financial officer want answers about Chinese-owned businesses. A Tallahassee circuit judge refuses to issue an injunction ordering the state to fix its unemployment compensation program. Judge John Cooper says he sympathizes with people caught in a horrible system, but doesn't have the authority to tell the unemployment agency how to do its job. And he says no one really seems to know how to fix it. The chancellor of the state university system lays out guidelines to reopen campuses for the fall semester. Marshall Kreiser says that means healthier campuses, COVID-19 testing, contact tracing, and giving students the option to continue remote learning if they don't feel comfortable returning to the school. We'll also have your calendar of political events and check in with Florida Man, who has an odd habit of wagging his weenie in all the wrong places. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Friday, May 29th. COVID-19 has now killed at least 2,446 people in Florida, an increase of 46 in one day. There are now 53,285 confirmed cases of coronavirus in the Sunshine State, and those are just the official numbers. The governor and cabinet meet for the first time in almost four months, giving Agriculture Commissioner Nikki Freed the chance to publicly confront the governor over his response to the COVID-19 pandemic. But you know, it's hard to get in someone's face when you're meeting over the phone. Freed wanted to talk at the beginning of the cabinet meeting, but Governor Ron DeSantis shut her down. Governor, before we start the agenda, I'd like to have a couple of moments just to have a couple of seconds. Well, we're going to go through the agenda, and then if you have some things to add, then we're happy to do it. But uh, I know we've got guys waiting, and we want to get through these things. So, Mark, go ahead. So Commissioner Freed had to wait until the end of the meeting to unload on the governor. I'm glad that we had the opportunity to meet here today. This is certainly a constitutional obligation that we all have. We are the only state in the nation with a cabinet that that constitutionally governs together over numerous state agencies and responsibility. But let me be clear, there is no reason in the midst of a global pandemic that we have, been, that we have seen over 2,300 Floridians perish, over 51,000 Floridians sickened, and over 1 million Floridians unemployed, that this cabinet should not have met in February to consider state business and to receive updates on our state's response to COVID-19. Each of us was independently elected by the people of this great state. Each of us received more than 4 million votes and were put here to do a job. And for the most critical nearly four months of this pandemic, this cabinet has been left in the dark. Governor, you recall that I formally requested that the Surgeon General and other officials from the Department of Health appear here today to discuss decisions around the COVID-19 data in which our state and its reopening relies on. But I didn't see any of that on the agenda. You also recall that I formally requested the Department of Revenue and the Office of Financial Regulation Commissioners to update the cabinet on the state's financial standing Given that $773 million in revenue lost in March, the $878 million lost in April, and the projected $800 million lost in May, not to mention what our state has spent responding to COVID-19. But again, I didn't see any of those on the agenda. You also recall that I asked to have our division directors update the cabinet on urgent issues, including the feeding of millions of our Floridians and our children and families during COVID-19, and the wildfires that have burned thousands of our acres and prompted evacuations as we've dealt with severe drought. But again, I didn't see any of those on the agenda. These agenda requests were made in good faith and were not acknowledged, let alone fulfilled. That's a real shame for everyone who deserves the truth. 
Floridians expect our government to be united, especially during this time of unprecedented challenges to states that we all love. But we didn't do that without information and without transparency. So I hope going forward we will stand and start doing this, what our Constitution requires, and that is governing together. DeSantis did not respond, but Chief Financial Officer Jimmy Petronas jumped in to defend the governor. Governor, this is Jimmy. Look, hey, I want to thank you. Um, I'm more proud to be a Floridian than watching you and your administration deal with something that has never been seen before in any of our lifetimes. The COVID-19 threat and the economic hardships we've faced to the shutdown have been enormous. But look, thank God we had Governor DeSantis and not Governor Cuomo. You and Casey, um, you know, I, I haven't got a chance to congratulate her, but uh, I can't imagine bringing a new baby into this world and the times and what you were dealing with. And, and uh, you know, when you made those comments about parents not being able to hold the girl, uh, you know, hell, you couldn't help but get shut up. Um, but what you've done uh, is, is, is nothing short of amazing. Um, I, I appreciate your leadership. Um, it's been uh, uncertain times that we've been in. But, look, I, I appreciate what you do. Uh, getting us through this pandemic. We will persevere, but we will be stronger, and at the same time, making sure that we're looking out for the state's finances and our taxpayers' dollars. Um, so, look, you have my support. This was not the discussion Freed wanted. We'll hear from her later in the podcast. There wasn't much discussion about coronavirus at this cabinet meeting, but they did have time to talk trash about China. It began when Attorney General Ashley Moody asked the head of the state retirement fund if they were invested in any of the 165 Chinese companies targeted by the U.S. Senate when it passed the Holding Foreign Companies Accountable Act on Wednesday. In light of some recent information that has been disclosed and reported on, uh, on how a certain number of Chinese companies uh, raised billions of dollars in capital, and they did that by listing on American stock exchanges, but then they refused to give regulators access to audit records that were actually required um, so that their financial accounting could be reviewed and uh, confirmed. Uh, I just wanted to know um, if we have any direct holdings in these companies and if so, how we would evaluate the credibility of their financial statements or information that they're putting out uh, and assess uh, risk to us on those holdings if there's possibility of inaccurate financial reporting. Ash Williams, who runs the State Board of Administration, told the Attorney General, we got this covered. And it's no secret to any of us on this call that the environment between China and the rest of the world, especially the U.S., is changing by the hour, and that has risk ramifications that we're keenly aware of, and we will work closely with everyone we can to make sure we're in the right place on the balance of risk and return. Then Chief Financial Officer Jimmy Petronas joined in, announcing he'll start a new campaign to try to prevent the state from doing business with or investing in any companies owned in whole or in part by the government of China. We've got to hold China accountable. Thirty days ago, we sent a a letter to the Chinese embassy demanding restitution for the financial damages they've caused the state of Florida. Now, we haven't heard back from them. Uh, so today, beginning the, we're beginning the process of issuing a letter to over 100,000 vendors that do business with the state of Florida. Our request is simple. We just want those vendors to identify whether their companies are majority owned by American or not. Um, based on this information, uh, we're hoping to identify businesses that are majority owned by the Communist Party of China and potentially withhold funds. Um, this is this is something I think uh, is needed and transparent information 
will help us make better decisions. Last month, the CFO wrote to the U.S. Secretary of State asking for help figuring out if any companies operating in Florida now are secretly owned by the Chinese government. A circuit judge in Tallahassee says he sympathizes with all the people struggling to get unemployment checks from Florida, but John Cooper says he will not issue an injunction ordering the state to fix the system. For starters, he says no one seems to know how to fix it. And more importantly, Judge Cooper says he doesn't have the authority. I think an injunction telling me to tell the DEO to fix the system is overly broad. It's not feasible because there's no evidence in front of me that that system can be fixed and there's no evidence as to how to fix it. There's a lot of problems, I know that, and I know a lot of people are being treated unfairly, but I don't think I have the power to take over the control of the Department of DEO. I think there is no substantial likelihood of success on an injunction. I do not say that about the rest of the case. I'm not saying there's no likelihood of success on the negligence damage part, breach of fiduciary duties, uh, any of those issues. I'm not ruling on that. I'm simply ruling. I don't see any likelihood of success on an injunction because I think to issue injunctive relief would violate the separation of powers. The case is not over. I haven't dismissed the case, but I am for the reason stated denying the um, request for a temporary injunction. For me to enter it would violate the separation of powers. I don't think I have authority to do it. The governor, whether I agree with him or not, the DEO, whether I agree with the DEO or not, are exercising discretionary governmental functions, which the Constitution, the Supreme Court, and the First District says I have no power to direct. Judge Cooper did not rule on the substance of the lawsuit, only the request for an emergency order. So the lawsuit against the state is alive and well. In fact, he encouraged lawyers for the unemployed plaintiffs to file an immediate appeal of his order in hopes of speeding up the process. The chancellor of the state university system presents his guidelines for reopening the universities. Marshall Kreiser told the Board of Governors their number one mission is to provide students with a clean and healthy campus. We are talking first and foremost about a healthy campus environment. And one of the key components that you'll hear referred to more and more during this discussion is that what we have to understand and recognize is that we have a shared responsibility. Students, faculty, staff, administrators on a campus have to work together, have to support the guidelines that we will have in place in order to make this successful. If we, if we begin to lack that collaboration, that's where we're going to see biggest challenges. And it's going to be important from the beginning to understand what our social distancing and personal protective device guidelines are going to be and how they will be implemented on our campuses. We're going to have new health and safety procedures that will require training for all of our students and employees. As I said before, we're going to focus on academics in the front end but we also anticipate the ability to expand students' extracurricular activities as we see that we're actually seeing that shared responsibility and acting. Uh, we have also, we recognize that we have national and regional athletic conferences that are heavily involved in deciding the topic of will we be engaged in college athletics in the coming year. What we believe is important alongside uh, our participation at the university level in those conferences 
is also to understand at the end of the day, we'll watch and, and ensure that the protocols that are in place would match the protocols that we have for our student and our employee safety. And we all will take on a new responsibility for the regular cleaning and disinfecting of our university facilities. We anticipate all of this being in an environment where we follow CDC guidelines, as well as work, working closely with both the state and county health departments as partners in this process to ensure that we're able to establish our campuses in a healthy environment. Kreiser says they're recommending each university provide coronavirus exams for anyone on campus and trace the contacts of anyone who tests positive. There's been a lot of discussion across our state. There's been a lot of activity across our state around, around COVID-19 virus testing. Uh, we anticipate to have testing plans that will include testing policies and procedures, processes for individual screening, and processes for how we follow up when an individual is tested positive or suspected to have been exposed to the virus. Another element of this is looking at the area of contact tracing and there it is, contact tracing and surveillance. And this is one of the critical elements in this type of endeavor is not only identifying individuals who have become exposed or infected, but also trying to understand what that group of individuals around them is so that we can be prepared to move to the other levels of activity that we need, which includes plans for how we will isolate individuals involved in on-campus housing and what resources we need for those individuals, including health care, counseling, and academic support. And while the chancellor is planning for universities to reopen for the fall semester, he says students who want to continue their education remotely will be accommodated. We expect and understand that many of our students and many of our students' families wish for them to return to our campuses this fall. We also know that there may be individuals who have uh, different considerations or simply individuals who are more comfortable being able to continue their education um, using online or some other remote delivery mechanism. We are hoping that we can tailor our academic delivery in such a way that we're meeting the student where the student wants to be met. And if that's on campus, we're working to find ways to do that. If that is remotely for the near term, what we want to do is have a platform that allows students, whether it's beginning their uh, college education, continuing their college education, or in some cases even finishing their college education this fall, we want to be able to have the versatility that meets them you know, where they need to be met so that we can be successful because they're successful. The guidelines are a bit vague, but there's a reason. Chancellor Kreiser says they want each university to have the flexibility to come up with a plan that works best for them. Next up on the Sunrise Interview, Agriculture Commissioner Nikki Fried vents on the cabinet, the governor, COVID-19, and the state's response to the ongoing pandemic. You're listening to the Sunrise Podcast from Florida Politics, and we're much obliged. Florida Hospital Association members are safe, ready, and equipped to care for all Floridians. As our hospitals resume elective procedures, ensuring the safety and well-being of our patients, employees, and communities remains our first priority. Contact your local healthcare provider for information on visitation policies, access restrictions, and how to get needed care safely. Please visit the Florida Hospital Association at fha.org/covid for more information. Welcome back to Sunrise. As you've already heard, the state agriculture commissioner was hoping for a dialogue on COVID-19 during Thursday's cabinet meeting. But Nikki Fried is the only Democrat and the Republicans pretty much ignored her. So she met with reporters after the meeting. 
Uh, I've been saying from day one, this is a transparency issue, that as we're opening up our state, uh, you know, people are going to the beaches, people are going into the restaurants, people are going to gyms. They need to be making personal decisions of whether or not to go out and to be in part of, of this. And for tourists to come to, to our state. But every single day, we keep hearing new and new data that is inaccurate of what we're giving to our citizens. And if we are putting that personal onus on not only our citizens, uh, but also our local governments to be making these decisions on opening up summer camps, uh, we need to make sure that we're having the accurate data so people can be making these personal choices uh, with all the information at hand. You think that's leading to some confusion of what can open, what can't open, when it can open? Of course, th th there's an extreme confusion. That's been day one. That's why I was critical of this piecemealing approach of, of shutting down. And now we're relying back on our local governments to, you know, for instance, I, I was in Seaside this weekend. Uh, and I can tell you from my personal experience, uh, the restaurants were not operating at 25% capacity. They were operating at full capacity. Not a single person in Seaside area was wearing a mask. Uh, not the employees in the restaurants, not the people behind there. Uh, we have individuals coming in from Tennessee and Alabama, and it's wonderful that we're seeing that economy open back up, but at the potential detriment of, of you know, the individuals that were participating in it. Uh, so there's going to be a lot of confusion, and every single day we're seeing more and more reports uh, that the information, I had an opportunity to speak to Ms. Jones this week, and from our conversation, I have additional questions that i like answered uh, to, again, make sure that we are being as transparent as possible with the data uh, if we're asking people to make these life-altering decisions of going out in public and be part of our economy. As far as um, unemployment goes, what are you hearing on that front? Yeah, every single day I'm still receiving uh, messages from very frustrated individuals. Uh, I, I know that we are in the middle of a hearing up here in Leon County and anticipating an order coming down from a judge tomorrow. Uh, but there's still extreme frustrations with the unemployment system. And a lot of things that have been brought up uh, are not fixed. Even earlier uh, last week, uh, we heard a whole bunch of Walmart employees, I believe it was Walmart, uh, that were kicked out of the system and were denied. Uh, so every single day, we're, we're still hearing those stories as well. I'm getting tagged on social media, and, and people are, quite frankly, giving up. Uh, they're going back to work, putting their lives at risk, because they can't wait for not only the, the state's unemployment system, um, but also getting their federal dollars. They don't have a choice anymore but to go back to work, and they don't have four to six hours every single day to go onto the unemployment system, to be waiting online, uh, to be talking to call center employees who are frustrated because they too don't have the right answers to give, and they're frustrated. Um, so it's a frustration, and unfortunately people are giving up. And while they may be going back to work, they still have now two months worth of uh, back pay on uh, electric bills and leases on cars and, and uh, gas payments that have to be made, and unfortunately um, the state failed them. You asked for a moment of silence for the dead Floridians uh, Americans at the beginning. Did you feel like that was acknowledged? I, it, it was very quick. Uh, it, it was a very quick moment of silence. We reached 100,000 deaths yesterday in the country. Um, that's hard to even put, bring your, your, wrap your brain around. Uh, that that's more deaths than I think that the statistics were than we had in Vietnam, um, and certainly in 9/11. And you know we keep talking about numbers. And these are people's family members uh, that they've lost uh, without any opportunities to mourn them. There's no funerals. Um, they, the individuals died alone in, in hospitals. And we have to recognize that this is a human epidemic and pandemic. This is a human loss. Uh, and we're seeing it, and you know, given at least we could do is spend a couple of uh, you know, a couple of minutes, 30 seconds at least. I don't even think it was that, uh, recognizing the lives that were lost and the loved ones that are left behind. I know that Universal's put in their plan for reopening. A few others, the large companies are doing the same. But then there's also a lot of the smaller attractions 
also trying to reopen. And I guess some of them are getting mixed messages as to whether they, they can reopen, whether they can't reopen. Yeah, you know, that's frustrating for local businesses. We have that same issue with gyms, uh, that gyms in, in the last reopening um, order from the governor, it said gyms were supposed to be, gyms and fitness centers were supposed to remain closed. There was no exemptions. Uh, we were going to, and doing our jobs going through, and those that were reopened, that had reopened, uh, we were getting, you know, information from our office from you know competitors saying we're closed we're trying to follow the order uh, but yet our competitors across the street are opening uh, we'd go out there and they would say oh, we just heard from the governor's office that we can reopen uh, so there's definitely mixed messages even coming between agencies and departments uh, and, and that's very confusing to a lot of small businesses who want to do the right thing uh, and, and so I definitely think that we need to be doing this as a unison at this point uh, and making sure that we are doing what's right for the citizens to what extent do you see, if you will, a different set of rules for folks in that risk population versus other people? I can give you a, a perfect example. My grandmother is 90 years old. Uh, I talked to her yesterday for a long time and just kind of checking in on her mental stability. How is she doing? Uh, and she says, I miss my friends. I, I miss playing my card games in the afternoons. Um, I don't know when I can go back and do that again. And, and unfortunately, that is true. And that she's probably still, a, she's 90 years old. Uh, she should not be out. She lives in Palm Beach County. And there's still an increase in cases out there. We still don't have uh, accurate information. I can't advise her to go play card games with, with her friends. Um, but yet you're seeing you know, camps opening up for the summer, and so you're going to see our youth um, going to camps all over our state, uh, and so you're seeing obviously a disproportionate um, response for different age groups and different. Um, you know, it's unfortunate because what we, why we closed schools to begin with is because we know that our youth, unfortunately, can still carry and then carry it over to their parents and to their grandparents. And so it's unfortunate. Of course, you know, I've got three stepsons who all they want to do is go outside and play with their friends. But I also have to be cognizant that they go outside and they play with their friends and they come back into the house and then I'm around other individuals. And so we have to be careful. And I know that there's also an uptick in uh, child illness related to COVID. Uh, my sister, when she was younger, had Kawasaki's disease, which is, you know, they're showing a lot of comparisons between what some of these children are experiencing and, and Kawasaki's, if not Kawasaki's itself. And I know how frightening that was to my family, having my sister in the hospital at four years old, not knowing if she was going to survive, not having a, a cure, not knowing the causes of it, and not knowing how to uh, handle it. She was pumped up with aspirin. Uh, that was the only remedy that they had. And even still to this day, every time it rains, uh, her joints hurt because of it. But that was all they knew about it. And so that's scary to family members, you know, to think that their children could have some kind of adverse reactions to being exposed to COVID. The governor's press secretary tries to dismiss Freed's concerns by accusing her of playing political games during a pandemic, as if she were the only one. Your calendar of events? Well, today is the beginning of the seven-day disaster preparedness tax holiday that lasts until the 4th of June. You won't have to pay sales taxes on disaster supplies like flashlights and lanterns that cost 20 bucks or less, radios and tarps that are 50 bucks or less, coolers and batteries 30 bucks or less, and generators that cost less than $750. The steering committee at the Central Florida Water Initiative meets online at 9. At 10, committees set up by the Florida Education Association and the United Faculty of Florida continue online meetings to talk about reopening schools and higher ed. Daniel Jurgen, the vice chairman of IHS Market, that's a global information and data company, will speak during a webinar of the Economics Club of Florida at noon. The Board of Optometry holds an online meeting at 3.30. And finally, it's time once again for the new adventures of Florida Man, who has a firm grasp on what really matters, at least to him.
A Florida man is accused of following old women at a Walmart in Ocala while masturbating. Over a two-hour stretch, authorities say 41-year-old Jovanic Miller followed at least seven elderly women and masturbated near or behind the unsuspecting victims. Miller was arrested when he tried to leave the store without paying for $243 worth of merch. He denied exposing himself, but it was all recorded by surveillance cameras. He's charged with exposure of sexual organs, theft, and possession of a small amount of marijuana. Finally, a Florida man is arrested after flashing his junk to deputies in Lee County. 32-year-old Carlos Suarez is charged with exposure of sexual organs, breach of peace, disorderly conduct, resisting an officer. Neighbors say he was standing outside in nothing but his underwear, screaming at the top of his lungs. When deputies arrived, he ran inside, but he walked out a short time later. And the arrest report says Suarez was, quote, slinging his genitals, unquote, at the officers. This is one of those cases where you are glad there is no video. That's it for today's episode of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg in Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again Monday as we plumb the depths of Florida politics.